Uh, but you know, it's so, but because uh, this year Christmas falls on Shabbat, it is a good opportunity to talk about, you know, maybe the other other side of the coin of the birth uh, and uh, earliest uh, days of the Messiah. Because I, if you basically go by uh, the culture, we'll say, it's a cute sentimental story, right? The baby born in a manger, the three wise men, and shepherds, and, and all of that. And, and, uh, and you get the idea of that, that it's just you know, a warm, fuzzy kind of event. But the reality is it was anything but... It was anything but a, uh, you know, a, a warm and fuzzy event. Uh, and so also, I think it's also important for us to just be reminded, just simply because we're inundated by the culture, uh, we're, you know, we need to remind ourselves what the birth of the Messiah was indeed all about. And uh, so, you know, in Acts, where we are uh, right now, uh, at the very end of Acts, uh, it says there that Paul was now in Rome, you know, and he was under house arrest, and it says that he spoke from Moses and the prophets, okay, uh, about uh, the hope of Israel. He spoke from Moses and the prophets about the hope of Israel. And so the coming of the Messiah is what that is, you know, the, the hope of Israel. Uh, and, and so uh, with our Torah portion today, being about Moses, about the uh, about the birth of Moses, uh, it, it, the the birth of Mo- birth stories, first of all, in the Bible are uh, indeed always significant. They're always significant. Okay, uh, you have Cain. It's a significant story in the the birth story of Cain is, is important. The birth story of Ishmael and of Isaac and of Jacob. Uh, and of Esau, right? Uh, uh, and then you have, uh, uh, it's not a birth story, but, you know, the childhood of Joseph, <laughs> okay? Uh, and then, of course, uh, you have uh, the uh, birth story of Moses, very, very important here. The birth story of Samuel, uh, I'm not going in, in, uh, in exact chronological order. The birth story of Samson, uh, of, uh, and, uh, you know, and of others, right? These are all significant, and they all, and interestingly enough, you can tie every single one of them into the messianic story of the Bible, you know? Uh, and so it should come as no surprise, therefore, that when you come to the birth story of Yeshua, First of all, it would shock us if there wasn't one, okay? Uh, because his is the most significant uh, of all. Uh, we have uh, his, uh, you know, uh, his, creden- his birth credentials, right? The genealogy uh, in Matthew and in Luke that serve different purposes. There are different kinds of genealogies. You have the, uh, the kingship genealogy, in uh, Matthew, right, uh, and uh, you have, uh, so to speak, the the birth genealogy going back to Adam, uh, you know, in uh, in Luke. So they serve, you know, different purposes. So um, I thought that we would take a look today because 
it relates uh, to Moses, to the, to the birth of Moses, to go back to Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, in the second chapter, what, like what we were, uh, like what we were reading. Okay, and uh, in Matthew chapter 2, okay, uh, we're actually going to look at the whole chapter. The uh, Haftorah portion went for the first 12 verses, but the whole chapter is actually very important. In this chapter, we have, uh, you know, uh, what happens to Yeshua after he's born. And what's interesting is Matthew includes four different passages from the Tanakh, okay? And they're all very significant, each, each one of them. Now, there are others in other, you know, uh, uh, in uh, chapter 1, uh, you have a very important one, in chapter 3, and in chapter 4, you, you have them as well. But we're just going to look very briefly at Matthew chapter 2, okay, and see I, you know, uh, what we can uh, get out of this and to remind us a little bit more about the significance of the, the incarnation of the birth of Yeshua uh, and the context uh, of it and the difficulty uh, of it and what that means and what it means to us. Okay. So it says here, after now after Yeshua was born in Bethlehem of Judea. Now, you know, there were two Bethlehems, right? There was a Bethlehem in Judea, and there was a Bethlehem actually in the Galilee. All right? And so that's why it says Bethlehem of Judea, uh, so that we'd be reminded and sure of the right location. All right? That means it's, you know, it's very, very important. All right? Okay. So every Yeshua was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king. Behold, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have, for we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him or pay homage to him. Okay. I, okay. So that's kind of interesting in and of itself. Right. So I, so we know Herod's the king. We know that Yeshua was born given the, the calendar that we use. Approximately 4 BC. He wasn't born on January 1st, 1. Okay? Alright, just so, so you know. Alright? Uh, it was approximately 4 BC. Right? Herod the Great. This is Herod the Great before he dies. Right? Uh, and, uh, he's the one who, uh, I mean, we talked about this at Hanukkah a little bit about Herod. Right? And we're going to learn about him as we a little bit more, some things about him as we read further. But he's, he is the, the, the king of the Jews. He is basically uh, a, uh, you know, appointed by the Romans to be king of the Jews. He was from a place called Idumea, okay, where the Idumeans, the, there's writings where we know the Idumeans converted to the Jewish, to the Jewish way of worship. There was no ism. There was no Judaism. At the time, but they became Jews. We'll say, all right. Uh, and uh, Herod uh, was appointed uh, the overseer, uh, the governor, or the king of the Jews. That's what he was called. Okay, all right. So these magi, who are these guys? Right, they are Persian astrologers. 
Persian astrologers. Now they might have, they might not have come exactly from Persia. They might have been in Babylon at the time. Okay, they were Jews in Babylon. Remember, there were more Jews in Babylon than there were, than there was in Judea, uh, at, at this time. All right. Uh, and so they may have heard of the Messiah, maybe. Uh, but, you know, God is the God of heaven and earth. Uh, and even though they were astrologers, somehow they received this by looking at the stars, and no one knows. Was it, some say it was a comet. Others say there was a particular constellation. Nobody knows, okay? But somehow they realized that, that a king of the Jews had been born, uh, you know, in, you know, in, in Israel. Now they don't know exactly where they're, their ability to conjure it up could not take them directly to the location. But they, the king of the Jews, they, they went to Jerusalem, they went to the most natural place, the place where is currently the king of the Jews, right? Uh, they were kind of taking their life in their hands by doing so, right? Now, it's interesting that this is not the first place that we read about magi, right? Uh, where else might we have read about them in the Bible? Yes, in Daniel, we read about magi. They're the magicians. The magicians who could not uh, interpret, uh, you know, the dream of Nebuchadnezzar. Okay? It's the same, uh, same group of people. All right? Uh, and uh, so here they come. Now, you know, there is a midrash. There is a Jewish midrash. A midrash, for those of you that may not know, is kind of like, for all intents and purposes, like a story. Uh, that kind of fills out uh, parts of the Bible where there's not detail, you know, in the Hebrew text. Uh, and some of it is uh, um, just like fanciful stories, uh, and others of it, you know, uh, uh, might be helpful historically. But one thing that we learn from these stories is this was like traditions that were believed or held to, whether they were truthful or not, they were held to. And there's one, it's kind of interesting, that goes back to uh, the book of Numbers, chapter 24, uh, you know, uh, uh, verse 17, right? You may be familiar with it. Uh, it's a messianic uh, promise uh, there. Uh, and there it says this. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come forth from Jacob, and a scepter shall rise from Israel, and shall crush through the forehead of Moab, and you know, and tear down all the sons of Sheth. This idea of this star, okay? So there is a midrash that says when the Messiah comes, there'll be a star, you know, a, a, a star in the sky that will that will determine that you know this is the Messiah. It's just interesting. That's all. I'm, I'm just interested uh, that 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 midrash is uh, there. Now, when I say uh, you know, especially if you're new to us, if I use that terminology, I say a midrash. That doesn't mean that all Jewish people uh, are aware of this or believe this. You know what I'm saying? It's not like a thing. I'm just saying it exists. So it just makes it kind of interesting. All right. So uh, so here they come. Uh, and uh, they come to um, they come to uh, Herod. Okay. Now 
When it says, now when Herod the king heard it, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Now Herod definitely would be troubled by this. He was an extremely insecure, paranoid person. All right? And if you read Josephus or other extra-biblical sources, you learn that he had a, you, you know, better, there's a, there was a saying, better to be Herod's pig than to be his son. The reason that it said that is because he had a habit of killing his family members. Okay, because he uh, was sure that, you know, like David and Absalom and all, you know, that that uh, that someone was going to take away his throne from him. Uh, if you remember when we were talking about Hanukkah, remember I, I talked about how, you know, you had the Herodians, right? And then you had the, uh, you know, you had the Maccabees, right? Uh, um, and And how... Uh, at one point, there was this joining together of the Herodians and the Maccabees, and that was a marriage of this Herod. He married into uh, the family of the, of the Hyrcanus family, okay, which was the Maccabees. Okay. Well, he was so in love with this uh, wife of his. After she bore him enough children, he killed her. Okay, because. And and they killed uh, and then he killed uh, most of the offspring, not all of them, but almost all the offspring, because he did not want to. Ha- he did not want the Maccabean family to uh, maybe you know overtake his his rule. So he he was a ruthless uh, person. All right. So when it says here that he was troubled, that is really that's that's not a good sign. All right, and the reason that all of Jerusalem was troubled because one thing everybody knew is you don't want to rile up the Romans. You don't want to have now. Wait, we have Herod's the king. Now there's uh, so someone's born king of the Jews. You know who could that be? And that can really only mean one thing: that phrase "born king," not made king of the Jews, but born king of the Jews. That means a Davidic king that had not been on the throne for hundreds of years. That meant the Mashiach, the Messiah. So it was very troubling to Jerusalem because what will the Romans do? All right. So now we read, And gathering together all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he began to inquire of them where the Messiah was to be born. See, all of a sudden, we have, all of a sudden, it's, it's the Messiah. You know, that, that this is who we're talking about, right? Born king of the Jews. All right. Okay. Uh, uh, and they said, in, in Bethlehem, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah. For out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Okay, so this uh, is basically from the prophet Micah. Oh, prophet Micah, like where we're studying at MSI, right? Okay, we haven't gotten quite to chapter 5 yet, but it's uh, very, very interesting. So if you go there, you can go back if you'd like. We'll take a look at it, uh, the, the passage in Micah. Okay. Now, I won't turn there also, but while you're turning to Micah, you know, in the seventh chapter of uh, John, uh, there, there is made mention of the question is, 
Uh, you know, how could Yeshua be the Messiah if he's from Nazareth? Because everybody knows the Messiah has to be born in Bethlehem. It says that in John chapter 7. My point of saying that is, is that this was not co- like common knowledge that the Messiah had to be born in Bethlehem. This was not some obscure thing that later Christians uh, uh, reinterpreted, uh, uh, you know, to mean something else, you know, that, that kind of thing. This was common knowledge. And also to this day, I didn't bring it with me because, you know, I... You know, I can go a long time. <laughs> so I don't want to, I didn't want to read it. But in, in uh, Jewish commentaries uh, on Micah, clearly, <laughs> this is a messianic passage, uh, Micah chapter 5. Clearly a messianic passage to, to everybody. All right. So what's going on here in the fifth chapter of Micah is uh, you have, uh, uh, in the fourth chapter, you have this uh, uh, statement, uh, the, the first half of the fourth chapter is like a quote, a long quote from Isaiah. I think it's uh, it's either either Isaiah got it from Micah or Micah got it from Isaiah, one, one or the other. They were, they were contemporaries. Uh, and, you know, it, it's about uh, the Messianic days, and it's about the Messianic days. And then at the end of chapter four, it basically says, but you're not there yet, are you? You know, times times are bad, and they're going to get worse. Uh, uh, and and certainly, you know, you're certainly not in that uh, that uh, ideal, that olam haba, right? And then at the very end of chapter four, which, by the way, in most of your Bibles is verse one of chapter five. Okay, uh, most Bibles, uh, when it says, "Now muster yourselves in troops, daughter of troops, they have laid siege against us." With a rod, they will smite the judge of Israel on the cheek. That is, in Hebrew, it's at the end of chapter 4. Okay? And, and it's like there's a, there is a, you know it's actually, it's an end of a section in the Hebrew Bible, you can tell. There's a letter there, and you can, there's like a little gap of space, even. You can tell. Uh, and, uh, and, and so it's saying basically that, uh, um, you know, you're going to fight. If you, if you look back at verse 13 or at the end of chapter 4, it says, Arise and thresh, daughter of Zion, for your horn I will make iron, and your hoofs I will make bronze, that you may pulverize many peoples, that you may devote to the Lord their unjust gain and their wealth to the Lord of all the earth. Now muster yourselves in troops, daughter of troops, they have laid siege against us with a rod. They will smite the judge of Israel on the cheek. So what he says at the end of chapter 4 is, you're not there yet. You know, but the day is going to come when you're going to become very strong. You're going to become very strong. And this sounds very much like the 12th chapter of Zechariah, if you're familiar with those kinds of things. Uh, that Israel becomes strong uh, at the very end, of course, by the power of God and the coming of the Messiah. All right, but here in chapter five, in verse two, now it says, "But as for you, Bethlehem Ephratah, too little to be among the clans of Judah, little Bethlehem, basically. For you, one will go forth for me to be ruler in Israel, Mashal, to be ruler in Israel. Okay, his goings forth are from long ago, from the days of uh, eternity." Therefore, he will give them up until the time when she who is in labor has born a child. Then the remainder of his brethren will return to the sons of Israel. 
and he will arise and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they will remain, because at that time he will be great to the ends of the earth, and this one will be our peace. Clearly, uh, this is not speaking simply about the end of the end of the Babylonian captivity, okay? It is speaking ultimately of uh, the great uh, victory uh, of the Messiah over forces of darkness, you know, and uh, the uh, um, and and the the, the king uh, the the Davidic king of Israel, right? Okay, so um, when it says here, his goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. I know that it is very popular to view those words as meaning like eternal, like he's eternal. Okay, and you know, I would say uh, it could be a, a purposeful, a double entendre in the text. Okay, because the last word, the days of you know, yomim olam, that's days forever. Okay, it could mean that. It could mean that, but it also could be referring to back to the days of David. It could be referring to that also, back you know. Uh, back to the days of the promise made to David. You see, it could be referring to that. Uh, and uh, because it is interesting, interesting that in uh, Matthew chapter 2, when you read the quote, it's not really an exact quote, right? When it says, you Bethlehem land of Judah are by no means least among the leaders of Judah. Out of you shall come forth a ruler... Okay, that's verse 2. And then it says, Out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Now, it does say, it's sort of a combination. It takes this whole section of Micah 5, 2, 3, and 4, maybe puts it all together. Because it does say, he will, in verse 4, he will arise and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord. Okay? He's the king shepherd. And we've talked about that before. Like at Hanukkah, we talked about the king shepherd. That is a classic messianic uh, picture. But if you go back to 2 Samuel chapter 5, you read something kind of interesting. What is that about? 2 Samuel chapter 5. This is the final anointing of David, right? This is when David is king over all of Israel. And it says something interesting in uh, 2 Samuel chapter 5. So uh, this is actually his third anointing, by the way. Uh, to be a king. So in 2 Samuel 5, beginning in verse 1, it says, Then all the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and said, Behold, we are your bone and your flesh. Previously, when Saul was king over us, you were the one who led Israel out of it. And the Lord said to you, You will shepherd my people Israel, and you will be a ruler over Israel. That's almost exactly what Matthew says. And so I would suggest that he's sort of taking what Micah says and adding what God has told David, you know, and says like, you are the new David. This is the new David. And that this promise, uh, this one who's going to come forth being born in Bethlehem goes back not only to the promise, to the prophecy of Micah chapter 5, but all the way back to the very promise of who David is, and not just David in his 
person, but David in his calling. You know what I mean? David in his position as king. Uh, and so this is the Davidic king, the Davidic king shepherd. All right. Now, I will be the first one to say, if someone is to say to me, what, you mean this isn't talking about the eternality of the Messiah? I'll say, it may very well be. <laughs> okay? But I don't think that uh, the main thing that Matthew is conveying is the eternality of the Messiah. I think the main thing he's conveying is that this is the Davidic king. This is the promised one. Because remember, uh, this is what the... Um, Priests and the scribes are telling the Magi, okay? This is like the narrative. The, the priests and the scribes are telling the Magi that this one born in Bethlehem is, I, you know, he, that's where the Messiah is supposed to be born. And of course, whenever, you know, Messiah means the Davidic king, the Davidic king. Uh, and, uh, and so Bethlehem, you know, is a very important place. Uh, in a variety of uh, ways, you know, Rachel is buried right there, uh, you know, right near Bethlehem, Beit Lechem, right? In fact, if you go to Israel today, uh, I don't know if anybody ever been to Rachel's tomb, ever been to Rachel's tomb, right? It's right by Bethlehem. And you know you're right by Bethlehem because there's a gigantic wall <laughs> right at, right at Rachel's tomb. And if the wall wasn't there, you would cross the street, a little street. You'd cross the street and you'd be in Bethlehem. Okay? All right. Uh, also, you know that in the book of Ruth, this is where the family's from. This is where Elimelech and Naomi and Boaz are from. They are also from Bethlehem, a very messianic, significant place. Right? The, uh, and story, I should say. Right? Jesse and his family are from Bethlehem. Right? That's where David is, uh, is, uh, from. Uh, and, uh, and so very, very, uh, uh, you know, important. And then, of course, you have here in the book of Micah, you know, where the king of Israel would be born. And as I said, this is, uh, this view was held in the first century. It was common knowledge that the Messiah would, would come from Bethlehem. Uh, and then later on, a thousand years later, in Jewish rabbinic commentaries, it says the same thing. Okay? So, very, very important. So then Herod secretly called the Magi and ascertained from them the time the star appeared. Perhaps Herod thought that whenever the star appeared, that must have been when he was born or something, you know? Like, uh, who is my nemesis? You know, uh, how old is he? Uh, and, uh, and what do I, you know, he's thinking what he's going to do to get rid of him, right? So he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and make careful search for the child. And when you have found him, report to me that I may come and pay homage to him too. And having heard the king, they went their way, and lo, the star which they had seen in the east went on before them until it came and stood over the over where the child was. Now that's kind of interesting. This thing with the star, no, nobody really knows what that means. <laughs> okay, so when you read like commentaries, you know, there's like five different views, you know, uh, and uh, now it could be, it could be a miracle from God, huh? Right. Uh, it could be like the, the Shekhinah. It could be 
uh, this, uh, you know, this miraculous star that, that gave the Magi this uh, sense to go to Jerusalem. It could be that this same star led them right, right to where uh, Yeshua was. You know, something that's interesting, you have these echoes of the Israelite story. Remember that how did Israel in the wilderness know where to go? There was a, a light that led them uh, on their journey. Just kind of interesting. You know, you have these same kinds of things taking place. Just these same kinds of things taking place. So when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. They came into the house and saw the child. Now you might say, hey, there's a contradiction. Okay, he's not out like uh, way out. There's a barn out there, right? And, and, you know, in a stable and all that. Okay, well, you know, Yeshua wasn't born in Iowa, uh, okay, or in Ohio, uh, where that's what it kind of looks like, you, you know, like where animals are, they're like away from the house. I can tell you firsthand by the odor as well as what I have seen that animals like cows are like right outside. There's not like a barn out there, like let's go to the barn, that the animals are right there. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's, it's very interesting. And so in that day, w- you know, where Yeshua probably was born, it would have been like an, like something like, uh, you know, an, an attachment to the house, uh, or just right out, you know, uh, like a little addition or where animals would have been right at the house. It wasn't way out there. So it's not some kind of contradiction of, of any, of any kind. Okay, okay. so when they came into the house, saw the child with Miriam, his mother, they fell and worshipped him uh, as would in that day uh, mystical kinds of people, you know, from the East. Now, they weren't from, you know, they weren't like from China. Okay, they weren't from the Orient. Uh, I, I don't even know where that comes from. Okay. Uh, so th- that's important to know. Okay, opening their treasures, they presented him with gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, which are very interesting. They were very expensive. And uh, a nice devotional would be symbolic meanings of gold, frankincense, and myrrh, you know, giving him to a king. It's kind of interesting and helpful. They were treating him like a king. One who was a king, right? Now, having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed from their own country by another way. You see, you know, they were, they were, they were warned by God. This is, uh, very, very clearly, uh, an understanding that they better not go back to Jerusalem because they didn't tell Herod, uh, that they found him, right? It would have been the end of them. Uh, and so, you know, providentially, they go back a different way. Now, when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child and kill him. And he arose and took the child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt, and there and was there until the death of Herod, that what was spoken of by the Lord through the prophet might be fulfilled, saying, out of Egypt did I call my son. So now here's the second quote, 
Okay, out of Egypt I called my son. Now, at first glance, this doesn't make sense, right? I, because first of all, Yeshua is going down to Egypt, right? And it says, but for out of Egypt, I called uh, my son. Well, that comes from, that is a quote from Hosea, the prophet Hosea, chapter 11, right? Uh, and he's talking, about, he's lamenting Israel's sins. But what he's saying there is that I brought, you know, I, I, I brought them out, I delivered them uh, out of uh, Egypt. Now, when you go back to Exodus, there's a lot of places that you could turn to. Uh, one of them is uh, chapter 4 in verse 22, where, where Moses is speaking to Pharaoh, he says, uh, you know, he, he says, my son, my, my son, my only son, God is speaking, you know, through Moses. And he refers to Israel as his son, all right? First, Israel as his son. What you have here is Matthew is identifying Yeshua with Israel. But this also is very interesting because notice that first, you remember the story of Joseph? Of course you remember the story of Joseph. Israel goes to Egypt to live, to escape what's going on in Canaan. It's a famine, right? And so Israel goes to Egypt to live, right? And then Israel is redeemed out of Egypt. So you have that. So we could stop there and we could say, well, Yeshua is being identified with Israel. He's identified with the sufferings of his people. He is Israel. He's part of Israel. He's identified with his people. Uh, And, uh, you know, when you read in passages like... um, that all the servant passages in Isaiah, clearly Yeshua is, yes, the servant, but Israel is called the servant of the Lord. And in a number of those passages, you have to read those verses very carefully to figure out when he, when it's talking about all of the Jewish people and when it's talking about the Messiah himself. The point there is, is not just to understand which is which, but to understand that Yeshua is identified as Israel. He's part of Israel. Now, he's not creating a new Israel, okay? But he is the quintessential Jewish person, right? He is the ideal Israel. So, so Matthew is saying, this Yeshua, the Messiah, he is here identified as the, with the delivered people. Okay, but then there's something else here, and uh, that is, I, I would suggest that it's also a statement that he is like another Moses, that he is like another Moses. So Yeshua, uh, from Matthew quoting these passages, we know that he is the leader, he's the one bringing the people out, but he's also identified with the people. And so he is like, uh, he's like another Moses. So he's identified with a deliverer, and he is identified with a delivered people. Okay? Very, very, very uh, important. And that's why, uh, you know, he says this. And he's saying it not just to talk about Egypt, but to understand that the coming of this is the Messiah. He is the Messiah, and he is the one who's going to bring us out of exile and out of slavery 
And court, again, even to this very day, that the coming of the Messiah is understood to be another, is going to be like another deliverance from exile. Uh, and the Messiah is like another, uh, another Moses. You see this very clearly that in Orthodox Jewish tradition at Passover, at the very end of Passover, there is another Seder. And it's called Moshiach's Seder. Messiah's Seder. Uh, uh, to, you know, and that will be in the, and that's to look forward to the day when Messiah leads us again, you know, uh, the, the, uh, the final redemption. And, and this is Jewish understanding to this day. Okay. Uh, and so you see this identification, uh, and, uh, you know, and this, uh, this, uh, deliverance. So what is fulfilled, what Matthew sees is that the Messiah is a picture or the, uh, antitype, the, the fulfillment of a type of Moses, uh, you know, and of the delivered people that he's going to deliver Israel out of an Egypt again. And so here, uh, you know, he goes to Egypt just like Israel went into Egypt. And he comes out of Egypt as the leader of the people like Moses delivering Israel out of, out of Egypt. So, What's the bottom line of that? The bottom line is, is that the birth of the Messiah is all about a new Moses coming, leading a deliverance of Israel. Okay? All right. Also, by the way, notice this is not fuzzy, that he's running for his life. His parents are saving his life. That it, 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 his birth is in a very difficult circumstance. All right? And there's suffering involved, as we'll see right now. Then when Herod saw that he had been tricked by the Magi, Remember, they went, they went back another way. He became enraged, very enraged, and sent and slew all the male children who were in Bethlehem and in all its environs from two years old and under, according to the time when he had ascertained from the Magi. Now, that should just, that reminds us of the Torah portion for today, right? Of all the baby boys being killed. I, uh, I, uh, and, and so you have Herod, as it were, uh, you know, uh, a Pharaoh figure, right? Uh, and Yeshua being spared like a Moses, uh, a figure, uh, and this picture of Exodus, of deliverance. And I will say that that is the picture, that is the overarching picture over the entire Brit Hadashah, over the entire New Covenant scriptures from Matthew all the way to Revelation. And when you talk about deliverance and salvation and so on and so forth, the the picture is of another exodus, a final redemption, you know, all in, in this Jewish setting. Okay? All right. Uh, and so, I, you know, we already talked about how ruthless Herod was, so this really should not surprise us. But then notice what Matthew says. Now he quotes a third text. Then that which was spoken through Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled, saying, A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, and she refused to be comforted because they were no more. Now, that is a very interesting passage, and that uh, that is in uh, Jeremiah 31. You can read it on your own. I won't take the time. So Jeremiah 31 is, by the way, a very encouraging passage of Scripture. 
right? It's about the new covenant is in Jeremiah 31, right? That's in verse 31 to 34. But in verse 15, he talks about Rachel weeping. Why? This is not Rachel during her life weeping. Even in Jeremiah, it's a metaphor. Uh, Rachel's been dead for hundreds of years by the time Jeremiah says this. But what Rachel is quote-unquote weeping over is the difficulty of Israel. The, you know, all the persecution of Israel, the exile of Israel, the problems of Israel. And then right after this, he, he begins to then talk about how you'll weep no more. You'll weep no more, Rachel, because of the new, because of the new covenant, right? And so here, Matthew, may I suggest, quotes this. One, because he's pointing to that passage of scripture in Jeremiah 31. And that even with the, the coming of the Messiah, the king has been born, that we are still in exile, and that still these terrible tragedies uh, and genocides continue to take place. And so Rachel is still weeping. But just like in Jeremiah 31, Rachel is weeping and it is bad, but there is hope. But there is hope. That's the context of this Jeremiah passage. Rachel is weeping, but there is hope. So he's pointing to this Jeremiah passage that we, Rachel still weeps, but there is hope. And I would say to this day, Rachel still weeps, but there is hope. Yes, indeed, the king has come, but he clearly has not uh, come to the place of consummation. He's not, has not yet come to the place of completing the task. And so we could say Rachel still weeps, you know? Yes, the, the, the new Moses has come in the person of Yeshua. And he has come to, uh, redeem us. And certainly a remnant of, of Jews and Gentiles, you know, have, have come. But yet we have not yet come to the consummation. And by the way, uh, the calling of the Magi, at the beginning is very, very interesting because, may I suggest, the Magi are not Jewish. The Magi are not Israelite. I'll bet somebody found something somewhere that uh, says, well, maybe they were. But I'm going to suggest that these astrologers were not Israelite. And it's very, very interesting that in, in the Gospel of Matthew, really the first people to recognize the Messiah are astrologers from Persia. Okay, uh, which clearly is like a microcosm. Much of this is a microcosm of the life of the Messiah, uh, you know, of reaching uh, people who are who are not Jewish, suffering persecution, uh, you know, in his life and and so on. So it's really very interesting. Well, then we read now. But when Herod was dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt saying, Arise and take the child and his mother and go into the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead. In other words, the coast is clear for now. And he arose and took the child and his mother and came into the land of Israel. But when he heard that uh, Archelaus was reigning over Judah, Judea in place of his father Herod, this was not a great, this was not uh, that great of a step up, okay? Uh, he was afraid to go there. And being warned by God in a dream, he departed for the regions of Galilee. God was clearly leading them in everywhere they went, right? And came and resided in a city called Nazareth. 
that what was spoken through the prophets might be fulfilled. He shall be called the Nazarene. Now, this is interesting because nothing's quoted, right? It just said what's, what is uh, spoken through the prophets uh, might be fulfilled. He shall be called the Nazarene. Okay, so this is interesting. A lot of people will say that, you know, in Isaiah 11, Isaiah 11, 1, you have the word netzer in Hebrew, netzer, netzer, right? Uh, and that means uh, the, the stump of Jesse, right? Or the shoot. A shoot will spring forth from the stem of Jesse, the netzer, uh, okay? And then you have a, a similar word, semach, not the same word, though. A branch from his roots will bear fruit, and then we read about the branch of the Lord in other places. So some people will say that it comes from that, right? And then there are several other places, some places in the book of Judges where the word is used. But I'm going to suggest to us that the reason that Matthew does not quote a verse of any kind here is because what he is actually saying, when you look at this in Greek, it's Nazareth and a person from Nazareth. That's what the word is, okay? Uh, and uh, uh, it was a place that you're not going to find anything about because it was in a very obscure place in the uh, time period of the Tanakh. It was very obscure, okay? It was, uh, it was uh, not a significant place even in the first century, okay? And it was, uh, it, you know, it was in the Galilee. It was kind of like, you know, uh, uh, you know, kind of like uh, out in the boonies. What's the Messiah coming from there? And what did Nathaniel say? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? I'm going to suggest that the reason that uh, Matthew says this is because of the obscurity of Nazareth. And that Yeshua is called the Nazarene, and and you read in passages like Isaiah 52 and 53, and in Zechariah chapter 9 and chapter 10, and even elsewhere, that people would not recognize the Messiah when he came. And that he's and that it would he would be like an obscure figure, not whom everybody expected. And so it could possibly be that it's speaking of him being from the shoot of Jesse. But why doesn't Matthew then quote the verse? It'd be very simple to do so. Uh, or other passages of something, someone, somewhere. But he's focused on Nazareth and that he would be called a person from Nazareth. That's what Nazor, Nazarene is, a person from Nazareth, that he was obscure. And so the point being in all these passages is that Yeshua comes as the Messiah of Israel. He comes as another Moses. He's identified with Israel to redeem Israel and the nations, as we see pictured by the, by the, uh, by the Magi, and that he is indeed good news, uh, uh good news for Israel. And so, you know, it's important that we uh, don't get inoculated uh, with the story just simply of the cute baby born in a manger. Mary had a little lamb kind of story. Uh, but to recognize that God was breaking into this world uh, and, and in a very difficult way and in a very difficult time to bring, to bring deliverance 
uh, uh, for us. And so may we be thankful uh, in the, the, you know, in the providential hand of God, just as he saw over Moses' life and brought him to the place of being the deliverer. So in the very same, the very same God, you know, uh, takes the life of Yeshua, but Yeshua more so because he's the very incarnation. Uh, of God. He is indeed the very incarnation of God. He is the Lord. But uh, you know that God spoke to his mother. God spoke to his father. Uh, and uh, and he lived and became the deliverer. Very much uh, uh, as an echo uh, or a fulfillment of looking forward to the deliverance, uh, you know, from Moses to uh, Messiah. And uh, and so uh, may we just really uh, always appreciate that, uh, and um, and uh, recognize uh, you know what Matthew is doing here, uh, showing that Yeshua is indeed the hope of Israel. And so you know when uh, just the very last thing is when you go back to Acts, which in future weeks we will finish at the very end. Uh, he speaks here, uh, you know, and he says, And when they had set a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in large numbers. This was Jewish people in Rome. And he was explaining to them by solemnly testifying about the kingdom of God and trying to persuade them concerning Yeshua, both from the Torah of Moses and from the prophets from morning until evening. Uh, and some were being persuaded by the things spoken, and others uh, others uh, would not uh, believe. Uh, and then he's, and then he, then there's another quote. And then he says, "Let it be known to you, therefore, that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They also uh, will uh, listen." All right. Well, let's pray. Lord uh, God, uh, we thank you, oh, God. Uh, for Yeshua, our Messiah. And we thank you, uh, Lord, for this great miraculous birth story uh, and his deliverance uh, from the hand of Herod. And thank you, Lord, that you called him to be, as it were, another Moses, a greater Moses, who delivers not only Israel out of Egypt, but Israel out of sin and the nations and the world. Lord, uh, we do uh, pray, God, that we would not uh, take that for granted, and that we would always be appreciative of that and rejoice in that great truth and uh, recognize uh, that Yeshua is indeed your Messiah, the one you sent, the Messiah of Israel. And we pray in Messiah's name. Amen.